There is uh, much to be thankful for, and I think we could, do, we could have an executive session right now without Pastor Tom here. We could probably vote on if Tom should have a dog or not. <laughs> no, we can't do that. You know, uh, our kids sometimes, probably more often than not, lead the way in faith, don't they? Just grateful for the simple things in life. And uh, as they've grown and matured in life, you can kind of hear the answers shifting a little bit. I'm really grateful for our children's ministry team and our youth leaders and their team for being faithful at, at teaching our youngest and then sometimes our most challenging uh, folks. Well, actually, we're probably the most challenging, aren't we? Who Jesus is. I want to share a video or a photo with you um, of this is the Havana Cathedral in Havana, Cuba. And I was there a few years ago on a, on a mission trip. Yeah, well, we were actually uh, preaching and teaching in remote places in Cuba. Kind of fascinating. Uh, we'll tell you more about that later. And watching God do some miracles. But it's a beautiful architecture, isn't it? It doesn't really, the picture doesn't do it justice, and especially the fact that my camera's kind of crooked. But there's something else going on in the photo that I don't think you can see. See the guy in the black shirt on our edge of the, and he's clearly enamored by the architecture, right? You can see that as he's looking up and kind of taking it all in. See the guy in the doorway with the white shirt? He's just come out of the cathedral. He wasn't in there for worship. He was actually doing a tour, and you could pay money and see all the beautiful things. Do you see the woman on the steps to that gentleman's left? Yeah, most people didn't see her. We were so enamored with the architecture and so enamored with the beauty of the space that we missed the human being that was asking for a meal. Sometimes shiny things distract us, don't they? I forget. We went over this too. I'm so, I'm so ashamed that I forgot this, but not everything that glitters is gold. Some of you can quote the song reference there. Not everything that glitters is gold. And today as we come face to face with Jesus, we're going to see that people for thousands of years have been distracted by shiny things and have missed what God is doing. Would you pray for me this morning? Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, is... As the scriptures are read and as the word is proclaimed, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among your people gathered here today. And whether through me or in spite of me, Jesus, be glorified. Father, may I become lesser so that you might become greater. In Jesus' name, amen. If you brought your Bibles, I want to look at uh, Luke chapter 21. And uh, 
It's, it's fascinating to me a couple of things that Jesus has done in this teaching narrative, uh, specifically as he's kind of lovingly and graciously moved people along, right? I want to tell you on the front end that, um, and this is probably a disclosure, I guess. I don't want to get bogged down or trapped into looking for the signs of the end of the age. Because I think for many, many, many people, that has become a shiny object. And I don't think it's the gold that Jesus is giving here. I think we're going to see a, a little bit of a different narrative unfold. I think we're going to see that there are squirrels everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, hello, right? It's not even a squirrel for me. Sometimes it's just a fly. <laughs> I'm distracted by everything. I think we're going to see that there are antichrists everywhere. I think we're going to see that there are difficulties everywhere. And some of us are navigating those difficulties right now. And I also think you're going to see, if you look, that there's salvation. And there's tremendous hope. So without going any further, I want to uh, share with you from Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Uh, this comes just after the, the widow's offering and the narrative of that and the teaching through that. And it's positioned between the widow's offering and the fig tree narrative parable. It's fascinating how, uh, how the, the gospel writers and how the Lord taught very intentionally and specifically. And I think this text is actually broken down into three, maybe four sections that we're going to be looking at. Um, the first one is verses 5 and 6. Then the next segment goes from 7 to 9, where we learn about Antichrist. And then, then we're going to talk about difficulties. And Jesus is going to walk right through that with them. And it's going to carry them all the way to verse 18, where he's going to share hope and how hope is found. Right? So uh, if you brought your Bibles, Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Pause just for a moment. I love to people watch. And Bemis, in the summer, my goodness, you can pick tourists out a mile away, can't you? They got their fanny packs on. They got their cameras. The locals, we know who the visitors are because they're going like this. They're taking it all in. They're taking in the, 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 the territory all around them. That's exactly what was happening as these Jewish followers were walking into the temple. Jesus uh, says to them, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? <laughs> I just love that. Because that's the question that I would have asked. And I would have asked that question to make sure I wasn't in the temple when it fell down. Right? Now, now when, when exactly was that going to happen, God? Okay. I want to make sure that I'm ready. Right? No, I don't want to make sure that I'm ready. I want to make sure that my butt is out of there. Right? It's all about me, actually, in those moments. And this question isn't about them worrying about the end of the age. It's them worrying about themselves. He says... Uh, and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And then he gives a couple of directives, and this is the first one. I think it's important to, to underline in your Bibles or to mark in your Bibles, watch out. 
It's an invitation from the Lord to do something. He says, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. And then he says this very clearly, and this I think he would say to you very clearly today, because this is the timeless word of God, do not follow them. Don't follow them. He says, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened, for these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. And many preachers right now have paused and tried to make this about right now in this moment. And it may very well be that. But I think we miss the nugget of gold if we run down that rabbit trail. He says, before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. Underline that. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. You should probably underline that too. But make up your mind. For I will give you words and I will give you wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. I'm glad it doesn't stop right there. But oftentimes as preachers we stop right there, don't we? Or as readers of the Bible we stop right there. And we begin to look into all that is going on around us. He doesn't leave them there, though. He says, but not a hair of your head will perish, and by standing firm you will gain life. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For many of the Jews in the first century, the temple was an idol. It became a beautiful thing that they longed to see, and they took great pride in caring for it. When I was in Havana, that cathedral wasn't where we were gathering for worship. We were in a a Protestant church downtown, uh, a Methodist church downtown, uh, the largest Methodist church, I believe, in Cuba. And uh, that first morning, I walked down the street, and, and a woman came up and started walking right next to me, and she grabbed a hold of my arm, and I've never been more uncomfortable in all my life, because she tried to get me to go into these side rooms, like... I'm going this way. <laughs> and we've been warned to kind of travel together. Well, my roommate was a couple of steps behind me, and apparently he didn't catch the cue to come up and stand next to me. But we came to the, to the intersection, and there were women outside the church scrubbing the walls of the church. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Why are they washing the building today? And I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it was a beautiful space, but I was like, this is kind of strange. Well, the Santeria the demon worshipers in that moment had sacrificed chickens and had spread the blood all over the church and cast a curse on those entering the building. That was three years ago. I'm like, oh, 
I'm not in Kansas anymore. They didn't really care about the building, though. They cared more about the spiritual battle that they were engaging in and making sure there wasn't blood on the building. Because while they scrubbed, they were praying for protection, specifically for the Americans that would be coming in in a few moments, of which I was one of them. And that God would do a mighty thing. The temple was adorned with beautiful stones. It was shiny. As I started to kind of unpack this with the Lord, I started to ask the question of what is distracting you from the mission of the gospel? What are some shiny stones in your life? You don't have to share them out loud, but I do think you should reflect upon that and maybe even ask God to reveal those things to you. Some of the things that the Lord brought to mind was work. Work for me at times has become an idol. You know? Being busy at times has become an idol. Spending time in the woods has at times become an idol. My family, whom I love dearly, by the way, has at times become an idol. You see, God gave the Israelites the temple with instructions to care for the space. But somewhere along the way, it shifted. And their hearts weren't towards God anymore. And they become squirrels that distract us. When the Gospel of Luke was um, finished, it was probably around 85 AD. Okay? History is kind of important here, the timing of things. When was the temple destroyed? 70 AD. So as Luke was putting the finishing touches on this gospel and working through the Acts of the Apostles, the destruction of the temple had already come. I kind of imagine in his mind's eye as he's writing and penning these words of Jesus thinking, oh, if we'd have only just believed you. 1.1 million Jews, Israelites, they said, died probably during that destruction of the temple. 97,000 roughly were taken captive. I mean, think about that in the context of the words that are following. You see, there will be antichrists. Jesus was talking about people that would lead them away from the faith. I think if he were talking to us today, he would say the same thing. People that will be well-intentioned even at times and lead you away from the faith. Subtle ways. I had the opportunity this week to share at chapel at CCA. And I love when I get the opportunity to do that. It's just a fun, I love interacting with the youth and they ask some really, really hard questions. And this week what they wanted to do was they wanted to have a ask the pastor uh, Q&A time. And they had written their questions down ahead of time. They put them in a big bucket and there was like 40 questions in there. I'm like, well, chapel's, you know, 25 minutes. We should get through the bulk of these. I don't know, Mallory, what did we get through? Six? 
And the most difficult one was, do you prefer Tim Hortons or Starbucks? <laughs> Tim Hortons, come on, people, get with the program. Anyway, it had nothing to do with Tim Hortons or Starbucks. The most difficult question had to do with false teachers. And why do bad things happen to good people? And that we've, in America especially, bit on the carrot of the prosperity gospel movement that says if, if I have more wealth, then I must be more blessed by God than those who do not have wealth. Because the attainment of wealth is the blessing from God. False teachers. Antichrists. Jesus gives a couple of very practical ways to avoid. He says, watch out that you are not deceived. Intentionality on our part to be alert at all times. You know when I found myself most distracted? Like most easily, like bing, bing, bing. Not when I've had too much coffee, although that does play into it at times. When I haven't been as sharp. When I haven't spent time in the inferno where God does the hard work of purification. When my time with the Lord is distracted by shiny things going on around me. More and more I'm convinced that the more we have, the easier it is to be distracted. Doesn't mean that you will. It's just easy targets for the enemy. Antichrist. Well, how do we know that we're being deceived? And I think that's a really important thing. Um, don't take just Pastor Joe's word for it, okay? I want to give you a couple of really practical things. The first is, read the scriptures. If you want to know if something is right or wrong, go back to the word of God. The scriptures will testify about the scriptures. They're always in accord. They're always supporting one another. Don't just read the New Testament. That's the Marcionite heresy, right? Don't just get rid of the Old Testament. Read the whole of the scriptures, both the old and the new. Second, spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. And third, and I think this is probably the most difficult for me at times uh, when I'm not at my sharpest. Learn to trust your gut. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God, the scripture says, lives within us, takes up residency inside of us, and is constantly waging this war against our flesh, which desires to overtake us, by the way. Learn to trust your gut. When you feel like something might not be right or you're justifying an action or an inaction, learn to listen to your gut when the Lord is prompting you in a moment to resist the devil. I can't tell you how many times I've met with people and had them come to me after and say, man, I wish I would have just listened to my gut in that moment. And test that back to Scripture, right? If your gut's telling you to eat a third hamburger, you might be navigating gluttony, right? Test what your gut is telling you back to Scripture and allow the Lord to reveal it to you. If you're questioning something and trying to justify your feelings about it, walk away. Walk away. My mom's here this morning. It's good to see you today, Mother. My mom uh, has been a, a saint 
in the faith. And she's taught me a bunch of things, not by actually speaking at times, but by revealing it. And I've shared this with you before. One of the times that um, she witnessed the most to me was as an adult man when we were buying a camper. Well, she was buying a camper. I wasn't buying the camper. She was buying the camper. And the gentleman said to her, well, ma'am, I could write the receipt for, I think the camper was 7000 I could write the receipt for $3,000 and you could save on the taxes. She didn't miss a beat. I'm not willing to sell my soul to the devil for a few hundred dollars. I'm like, hmm. I think you're right. We would have been selling our souls to the devil for a few hundred dollars. Stay sharp. Difficulties. And this is the one that I want to just spend a few minutes on. What if your difficulties were turned into testimonies? Do you believe that that is happening? Some of you are nodding your heads. Others of you are thinking to yourself, just get me out of the difficulty. I don't like the pressure. Did we hear what Jesus said? He said, uh, before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. Oh, and by the way, some of you will be betrayed by your parents, your brothers, your relatives, your friends, and men will hate you because of me. The faith isn't something we can mess around with. It's not to be played with lightly. It's not to be, you know, as a side dish to some main meal. Jesus is either Lord or he is not. There is no either. It's either or, not both and. And as the disciples of the early church, Jesus was challenging them to step out in faith and to trust what God is doing. I think of some of the great saints of the church as I think about difficulties. Jesus, the saint, right? And someone might be like, well, Pastor Joe, he's God. True. We'll give him that. Let's move to the Apostle Paul, who wrote, I thank God for my suffering, because suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope, when it is complete, will not disappoint. Or James, you know, Jesus' little brother. Some of you got that. My huddle group, we're walking through James. If you're in a huddle group right now, you're walking through James. I thank God. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, right? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Or all through history. Corey Tenboom. Kind of these high-profile people, right? How about the non-high-profile people? The people who are just quietly faithful and steadfast. That's the vast majority of Christians, by the way. True Christians. You'll never be known except by the king. Make up your mind beforehand, Jesus said. In verse 14, he says, make up your mind not to worry beforehand. You have an active responsibility as you engage difficulties to determine ahead of time that you're not going to be anxious about it. I wish Jesus would just say things that were a little bit easier. Like it's really simple. The statement is really simple. Don't worry about it. <laughs> How many of you have got that down? 
in case you can't see, I don't see any hands yet. One. Even the disciples were anxious, right? They were asking questions. We're anxious people. But Jesus says, when we go into the difficulties of life, I will give you words of wisdom. And then he says this. He says, this will result in your being witnesses. Two more things. My neighbor, I've shared about Nate quite a bit, is uh, quite sick. Still navigating uh, melanoma. And it's in his brain and in his lungs and still navigating that. And he over and over and over is using the difficulty in life to testify about the goodness of God. And not the physical healing, the spiritual healing that's happening in his life as a result of the difficulties that he's facing. This weekend, you have an opportunity to come and be part of the Thanksgiving giveaway. You got an opportunity to testify to others of what God is doing in your life. And I want to give you a tangible challenge for this weekend if you're serving. And this doesn't go just for if you're serving with a Thanksgiving giveaway. This is just a tangible challenge for this week. Tell one person outside of those that you're most comfortable with about what God is doing in your life. About how God is restoring you in right relationship with him. And that you're able to navigate the difficulties because of this hope. Not that you talk about this hope that you have. It's one thing to talk about it. It's a whole other thing to really believe it. And to start putting that testimony into practice. Someone wise once said, you might be the only Jesus they ever see. You might be the only face-to-face encounter that someone else has with a risen Savior. Don't think about the past. Just keep your eyes moving forward and see what God does with your faithfulness. Because verse 19, and this is where we land Different translations say some different things here, so I want to clear up the water a little bit. Does anybody else find it interesting that just a few verses before he said that some of them would die? But not a hair of your head will perish. Is anybody else conflicted with that? Okay, maybe I'm reading a different gospel, but that's what I read, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean? When we begin to understand that when our physical bodies cease to exist, that we're just sleeping. That's what the early church believed, by the way. That death doesn't happen for those who are in Christ. That we are made alive forevermore. And when Jesus says this at the end, by standing firm you will gain life, another translation says, by standing firm you will win souls. I like that a little better. That was the NASB. By standing firm in the difficulties you will win others to faith in Christ. And in turn, your life is secure as well. As we get ready to to close out today, 
I think it's important just to share with you, you know, sometimes, what's the, finish this statement for me. All roads lead to, okay, let's try that again. All roads lead to Rome, right? That's what they believed at the time. I mean, Rome was this huge empire. People, study history. See Connor Barnes afterwards. He can teach you history, right? All roads, they believed, led to Rome. Not all roads lead to salvation. There's only one. There's only one way. The shiny things will distract you. They will take you right off course so quickly that you will find yourself sinking. But when we keep our eyes fixed upon the prize, the author and perfecter of the faith, the pioneer of the faith, as the Hebrews said, right? When we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, we're able to navigate whatever difficulties life presents us with. And in turn, others are brought into the kingdom of God as a result of it. I'm grateful to God we don't navigate those types of difficulties right now. I'm not naive enough to believe that we would never have to. But I am grateful that God is present with us all the time. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, not everything that glitters is gold. And some, some of us right now, Lord, have been distracted. So, Father, I ask that you forgive us our sins. And in the process of forgiveness, you would free us from the burden and the tyranny of evil. And that you would free us for joyful obedience to you. That we might enjoy this great salvation. And God, that others might experience it anew today. Be glorified, Father, in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. Purify us from all ungodliness and lead us in the way everlasting. Jesus, that you might be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.